Oh, God. thank you for saying that. We were on break for a long time. Long Why time. For so long. That's annoying. Anyway, how are you today, Dylan? I'm doing fine, Zach. How are you? Oh, God, I'm so good. I, my, my daughter told me about this new streaming service, uh, Paramount Plus. So yeah. and I've been emailing them a lot, uh, telling them about our amazing show and how awesome we are. So hopefully we get to he hear back from them soon. Um, any You're kind of Paramount Minus. <laughs> Paramount Minus, you want to start our own network? Yeah, why not? They probably don't have a copyright on Paramount. They probably didn't think that far ahead. Yeah, that's fair. Anyway, this is Talking Upstream. This is a show where me and Dylan, uh, we are some nobodies. This is our website. Sorry about the lighting in here. Uh, as you can see, Some Nobody Studios is doing pretty well, but it's aggressively lit today. Uh, but anyway, Talking Upstream is a show where Dylan and I get together and we work on projects. We show our creative uh, ventures. We show how we come up with things, how we work out our things, and then if we decide to turn them into podcasts or comic books or movies or uh we just throw them away because it was my idea and dylan doesn't like it but <laughs> either way it's a show about creativity and uh yeah and i get to hang out with my best friend dylan mm -hmm. so uh are you excited about today's guest i am yeah this is a good one yeah last week's was amazing uh we had mr bruce and david uh the guys who created the faculty had a great conversation with them uh but i i am very excited about today yeah. so uh if you want to go ahead and introduce today's guest if we could stop talking about nothing, uh, nothing yeah so nothing. um <laughs> not really talking about nothing so this week we are going to welcome tasha hardy she's a writer she's a producer uh she's got a bunch of product projects rather and uh you know here she is hi nice to meet you guys hello <laughs> hello, hello miss hardy how are you good good a little warm today in texas but otherwise pretty good Excellent. Better than it has been, probably. Yeah, that's true. It got really weird in Texas for a little bit, but I'm, mm -hmm. I'm glad things are cool there now. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you very much for being on the show. We're uh, very excited to talk to you. You have uh, a lot of credits in a lot of areas, and that's awesome because you have some experience that we're looking for. Um, so you won uh, the first thing that, that I wrote on my notes for some reason is that you won uh, best Texas writer at the 2019 Austin Revolution Fe Revolution Film Festival. That's amazing and from dylan's point of view and obviously mine but dylan is the writer here uh what was that like winning that kind of award um it was it was great it was actually a surprise because i had a um i had a couple of tv pilots up for awards in the festival and so i didn't know that the last part of it were like awards that weren't shown anywhere on the website or anything so it was like a complete and total surprise and in fact i was almost like in the bar next door <laughs> i walked by and it was like wait what like this i didn't know this existed um, so yeah, it was really exciting and it, and it really, uh, helped me, you know, the short I just, I just finished, um, that was the kind of the thing that sparked me to really pull a short out of that pilot because the curiosity was pretty much the reason I think that I won that. All right. So, um, take a minute. I don't think we gave, I don't, 
Uh, man, I am stumbling over my words. Go ahead and uh, just kind of outline what some of your uh, projects with some of your credits are for us. Oh, yeah. I forgot that part. <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, so I I started out, I mean, I lived in Hollywood for years, a lot of years ago. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I went there wanting to be an assistant director and slowly realized that I really don't enjoy do, being on set in that kind of role. Like maybe in a creative role, but I wasn't sure, but I was really young and I was like, well, what do I do? Um, so I decided to just like halt that. Um, and I learned, taught myself how to write and did some line producing. And that was much more, um, in line with what I wanted. So I worked on, you know, some bigger stuff as a, a production assistant. I think the first film that I produced was, uh, oh, it was a TV pilot for George Takei called World Enough in Time. He wanted to have his own series, um, his own Star Trek series. And so we did that. It just turned into a fan film at the end, but it, you know, we, we got a lot of attention from that. Um, then I did another pilot with uh, a gentleman named Jim Troche, who unfortunately passed away years ago. Um, but that's how I met, uh, he knew Brian Cranston before Brian was really big. And we did that with him. Um, did, a, did some animation for National Geographic a few years back that did really well. Um, and then just produced my, the first thing I've ever written myself. I just produced literally two weeks ago and just saw the first cut right five minutes before I <laughs> came right on. on. I was like, I'm sorry. I'm like, if I'm shot, I mean, it's, it's good, but you know how I mean, you first see something, you're like, oh my God, like I haven't seen it yet. So, yeah. Um, so you seem pretty heavy focused on like the writer aspect of what you're doing right now. Um, is there anything about your process? Do you find that, um, do you find that any sort of outline helps or do you just kind of like dive in with, uh, whatever you've got ready to go? Oh, I'm, I'm like, I used to just dive in, but it's so painful on the back end for me to do that. I have to go through so many drafts. So I, I really cut down half if I, I mean, outline it like crazy, you know, the characters, mm-hmm. like what they're, even if we don't see what their, you know, background is, you know, I'll come up with an entire background on the character and what, you know, why they're in the show or I've been focusing on TV lately. So I keep saying show, but um, you know, same with movies, but yeah, I outline probably taking as long as writing the first or second draft of the, of the script. Now, when it comes to like something like that, where you spend so much time on one pro, on, on like one project, like creating characters and backgrounds, d- and you obviously probably have other like ideas coming, you know, your way. How do you like filter which ones you need to work on or put in the back burner, or do you do like multiple projects at a time? Can you work that way? Um, I, I realize that I can do. I can. I have a writing partner that I write mostly features with, so I can write one thing with her and produce and be producing something at the same time. So now the goal is before it was just write, 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 try and sell stuff. And I'm like, this is not working. So now people are saying like, you know, you should, you should have a, an example of what your work. So now I have the next one in line for that. Um, sorry about that. Uh, so, you know, that's what I'll continue doing, but I can't do three things at once. Tried that. That doesn't work. Two things. Fine. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> so, um, day job. I'm, I'm a creative director for an agency and it's very demanding. So I can only work so much at night on my own stuff before I just face plant into my computer, you know, fair. Um, now writing wise, would you say that you have a specific kind of inciting incident that got you into writing or was it always something that you had intended to do and just kind of fell into? Um, I, well, the, the first time I remember, I remember thinking about it. I mean, when I was younger, I wrote poetry and, and kind of messed around with stuff that wasn't, I wasn't really serious, but I remember being on the movie hollow man. I was a production assistant 
Um, and that was when like, you know, you actually would drop drafts of the script um, changes off at the writer's house. <laughs> so yes, there was internet, but people were still doing that, you know, colored scripts thing and driving scripts around. And I remember they had me, um, they had me, I had to drop some revisions off to the writer and he wasn't home and I had like an hour or something to wait for him. So I read the script and I was like, cause I'd never seen it in its entirety, you know, cause you're mm -hmm. shooting out of order. I mean, it was, it was okay, but I was like, wow, I bet I could do something at least as good as this if I trained myself, you know what I'm saying? Um, and then I literally the next week went out and bought Sid Fields, I think it's just called How to Write a Screenplay, and that's how I started. <laughs> now, on IMDb, it seems like you kind of just popped into like the scene around 1999, which in my opinion is the best year for for movies. Also the year my daughter was born, but it was probably the best year oh, for nice. movies, which is, more, <laughs> which, is, which is more important. Uh, and it seems like you just like the first credit that you had was assistant directing. What was that like kind of as your first project being like uh, an assistant director having a, like a visionary role? Um, I think that might, might, might have been on 2020 Vision. Uh, the, the first thing that I assistant directed, nobody knew what they were doing or what their roles were. So that was just somebody giving me the title and I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> so if, that, if it's what I think it was, it was like, okay, well, you'll just be my assistant, the director said, because we just had no idea, you know. Um, uh, I think it was 2020 Vision. Is that is that the yeah. one you're talking about? Okay, yeah, that was, yeah, yeah. That was a doozy. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we did get a, someone in there. I can't remember who the star was in it, but it was I like Jesse Ventura or something, a wrestler. Um, it was a very obscure film. And the guy was really nice that wrote it and directed it. But that was just like, we were just totally messing around. So um, I was working on me. I worked on it and I did things, but I, it wasn't like a traditional AD role. It was more like, you know, sometimes you're an art director and sometimes you're a PA and, you know, so um yeah, and I but I did AD and PA at the same time, and that was hard. Like as I kept on going, I did do that. I did a lot of like music videos and commercials, and that was hard because I was, I didn't really have the experience yet to be an AD, and I was kind of learning as I went along. So there was some challenges there for sure. Nothing wrong with you all jumping in feet first, I guess. I yeah, that's true. That. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty much how Dylan and I started. We're like, let's just make a movie, and we started trying to make a movie. It's like, wait, wait, let's just slow Water down and make a podcast. Hold, hold on. Yeah, like, hang, hang on, hang on, hang on, yeah, hang on. There's actually a lot of things we got to learn here. Uh, but in the same year, you have a credit for uh, a thriller called uh, Karen. Is that right? C A R O N, which yeah. is uh, it's written. It seems like it's written like a John Wick kind of story, which is pretty cool. Um, when it comes to assistant directing. Uh, you said you were just kind of like, hey, you're my assistant. But is there a lot of uh, ability for you to kind of alter how the process goes? Or are you more just there, uh, just uh, literally assisting somebody else? Oh, you mean as, as like the traditional AD role? Yeah. Oh, so it's all about keeping time. So, so ADs are like the time, oh, the first ADs are like the time master. So they break down the shots and the script with the, with the director and the producer and the director of photography and make sure that all the shots are shot on time. Otherwise you don't make your day. And it's super, I mean, it's very intricate. The AD that I just had on Curiosity was amazing. Her name was Erin Egan. I mean, she just was like, go, go, go. You know, are you ready? Bring in this person, bring in that person. They're like the stage manager you know if, if it's theater that's sort of like the same role but they, they're keeping everyone in time because you just can't keep track when mm -hmm. you're going so fast you know and then i guess you uh, like the way that imdb works like it seems like you went from there to being a production assistant on some of my favorite movies like uh the cell and hollow man which uh, obviously you can't beat a verhoeven movie um what 
production assistant, can, can you kind of <laughs> hey, Dylan? You can't fight that. You love no, top, one of my top three directors. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but production assistant, can you speak on like what that kind of role is and what that entails? Because we're kind of making a move right now, and it's a very, very short thing, and it's a very small, you know, crew, and we're learning how to get bigger and what <laughs> what roles actually do instead of hey, use your phone and and direct this thing. Uh, but can you speak on production assistant, especially like on those kind of movies, like especially The Cell? Pretty much, I like that movie a lot. Uh, that's <laughs> funny. Actually, I got nightmares after working on that because I was in the. I haven't seen the movie for a long time but there was a scene in a room with like an experiment table. And I don't remember, but I just got so scared on that movie. Like I remember being in that room by myself, like, Oh my God. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it can be different things. I mean, I, I would say it's mostly like you're just doing what the ADs tell you. So it's, you're in the assistant directing, like, um, like, so there's a first AD, second AD, a second, second, they don't call it a third. And then all the PAs and the craft service PAs. So you're ass assisting the assistant directors and you're helping the cast get, you know, into wardrobe in time and you're making sure they're, they have food and, um, you know, everyone complains about everything all the time. So you're just like, you know, putting out these little fires and like, you know, where's the makeup person? You got to find that. It's always finding people and, and also extras. I mean, you know, wrangling extras on those big, I mean, the cell, I don't believe we had really any extras or when I was there. But um, but I have been on shows where like a stadium full of people, you know, they run away and go off and you got to bring them back and stuff. So it's really like kind of wrangling, you know, um, like cats. Yeah, like yeah. Burning cats. I think on the cell, I was I was friends with the second AD and I just pretty much um, was in charge of making sure the cast was happy. And that's I did like second AD. I really do like because you take care of the cast. Um, you don't usually need a second on a short phone, but. That's like for a bigger stuff. That's mm -hmm. my favorite thing to do. Is um is there a medium or format that you'd like to explore? I mean, not necessarily just as a writer, but in any sort of capacity, like theater or like specific streaming stuff or any sort of things along those lines. Seems like you're mostly focused on like movie and TV right now. Um, I am, but I have this secret dream to to direct a music video one day <laughs> and i'm not even a director but i just feel like one day i have to do like one you know what i'm saying All right. yeah um, that's just that's like a silly thing but that but pretty much i think tv i mean tv and if web series if i can figure out how to monetize some of the ideas i have for mm -hmm. that but mostly tv i think is there is there a specific band that you would like to direct a music video for um nothing you've ever heard of um i think I think um, I'm trying to think of the music video that I saw that I really like that. Oh gosh, I can't remember the name of it, but it's like, there's all this stunt work in it and it takes place. Um, I think in India, I can't remember the mm. name of the artist, but like, it's really obscure. And so I think if I did it, it would be for probably an unknown band that I really like their music and that I would produce something kind of weird. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. different, like a very different artistic style. Um, but you know, once again, this is so, I mean, by the time I get to this, I'll probably be 90 years old. So <laughs> <laughs> it's probably that's not going to happen soon. <laughs> isn't, what, isn't that what they say? Never too late. Yeah. Yeah. I just read so. about a guy like a month ago that sold his first script. Like, I mean, and on, on a pretty big level, he was like 95 years old. I was like, right on dude. Well. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, of, of all the roles that you played on, like uh, all these projects, what is, which one is your favorite to do? Like which, which pro oh, which role is my favorite? Yeah. Of like, say, say like a, of like a film, what would, what would you say is your favorite role to take on? Um, well, I think, I think writing is number one, but like, I really liked, I liked producing 
on like a higher level this time, as opposed to being like the line producer or like the AD or like I, I was really like responsible for like the budget and the money and all that. And I actually kind of like that. And so I would say, you know, what I just did, I would want to continue with, um, you know, basically being like the almost like an executive producer, but just being, you know, overseeing everything. I'm very like, I'm not <laughs> interested in being detail oriented. <laughs> I have like the attention span of an ant, except when I'm writing, but that's why I like producing so much because if I can produce like on high, on a higher level then I can, it's much more better for my skill set, you know? Mm -hmm. um, Zach and I, obviously this entire show is about ideas and capitalizing on creativity. Have you ever had an idea that you've really had to shelve um, even, even temporarily or permanently just because it wasn't working out or you didn't have the, the real spark to get into it? Um, I have, I mean, I would say it's something, I mean, can it be something that's completed? Oh yeah. Okay. So I have a, a movie called London Fog that um, I tried to get made like 12 years ago. I mean, I'm still trying, but it's really, really expensive. And it's been optioned a couple times. I tried to produce it myself and just spent like so much time and like trying to, and I think I just exhausted myself, you know? <laughs> so it's just, it's just sitting there. I mean, there's a lot of people who have it. Maybe I, I sort of had this thought of like, maybe one day someone will be like, oh, wasn't that, wasn't that one thing I said I would read that I didn't and that'll be it, you know? But, yeah. Um, but it, it is like sort of like my baby, you know, it's sort of like the thing that I absolutely want to get made one day. Do you find yourself going back to it and just kind of tweaking it on occasion? Or have you reached a point where you're just kind of like, let it lie, it's out there? Uh, let it lie, it's out there. However, I do every once in a while get uh, an email or someone will say, you know, I have a friend looking for this kind of genre of script and I'll send it out again. Like today I'm sending it out for the first time in two months again. So I was like, oh, I just found this UK company that I thought would be really good for this. So every once in a while, I'll think about it just to make sure there's a little bit of energy going out into the ether. <laughs> you know, it's not yeah. just dead, you know? Yeah. But... Now, pr production on the Star Trek Voyages, uh, was that seems like very, very big budget and very big deal. Uh, did you like, what was the experience working on like a Star Trek versus like a small scale like indie film? Well, we actually, um, we ran like a small scale indie film because it was a pilot and we were like, you know, fans paid for it. And I think maybe George paid for some of it. Um, so I, I think the budget was like under a hundred thousand dollars, but everything was done for free basically. So, um, you know, we, we did a lot of bartering and you know, the, the challenge for me was I was, when I was producing it with the budget, since we didn't have a lot of actual, money and everyone was working for like, you know, they were volunteering, et cetera. It was, it was like managing all this stuff and like trying to make sure you didn't overwork people. And, you know, we kept on having to change special effects teams because they couldn't do it anymore for no money. And it was just like, so that, I mean, that was, it was a pilot for George, but it never became like officially Star Trek, you know, it turned into like, we had to just release it as a fan film. Um, but it was pretty low budget. It was not high at all. Was was working on such an established franchise as Star Trek any? How was that different than working on something that was wholly original? There's a lot of conf like confinements. You know, I remember mm -hmm. um, spending an hour shooting a scene that we thought we got that was really emotional with George, and then um, the art director came in and said, "You know, someone switched the buttons on the on some uh, I can't remember what it was. It was something like he had in front of him, and it was like not." It was. It wasn't like it was on the Enterprise. It was like the red button was where the blue one was, or something. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me, you know? It's stuff like that, or, or like you know, we we the, co the customer put the wrong patch on someone's shirt, and then 
the you know the director went bananas you know because he's a star trek like historian and you know that that kind of stuff was like maddening because you always wondered you know what is wrong in this room <laughs> because i don't watch star trek and i don't know so like i don't know what i'm supposed to be seeing in detail you know so that was that was pretty challenging especially something as detail oriented as star trek where the fan base is kind of notorious for finding every single detail so they can recreate it yeah uh, <laughs> yeah is uh is there a franchise you would like to work on, or are you kind of just did that kind of separate you from that idea? Um, I mean, I, I don't know about something that that big. I mean, there's there are shows that are like my dream shows, like my my favorite show now on that scale. I think is Westworld. I mean, I would just die to work on that. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely would explore that for sure. Um, you know, I'm kind of starting out putting my own original work out, but I'm doing that to get to that point. So. Now, your your uh, I guess your most current current on IMDb is a, a, a film called Curiosity, uh, where it's uh, it has a credit as the director's uh, James Sunshine. When you're writing a project that you're very passionate about, and then you have to give it to somebody else to kind of produce the vision, um, can you talk a bit about that kind of process as being like the creative versus the person that is creating? Sure. So um, I you know I've actually talked with people about this quite a few times. So I think that, you know, once I'm, I'm writing something and then I'm producing it, I, by that time, I want to like hand it off to someone to get their interpretation of it creatively. And I'm not a director. I don't, I've never really, I don't think that way really in pictures, I think more in words. So, um, so John Lear actually um, recommended James Sunshine and we just worked so well together and he got the script and helped me with the rewrites and just like, just understood the project so well that it, it worked out. I mean, I have no complaints. Like we've not gotten in one, like once every once in a while, like he wanted to use some music and I'm trying to use this original composer. And he's like, Oh, you know, we're kind of going back and forth, but it's never a disagreement. It's always like for the good of the film will come to like, you know, some kind of like agreement. So um, that does not always happen though. And I've seen a lot of conflict there, but I'm very open to having a director take over that process. So yeah, we're, we're we like I said, we're kind of in, a, in the middle of filming our short mm -hmm. film right now, and uh, it's it's a very cool, creative, you know, collaboration. And I'm hoping that as we move on and get bigger, that it kind of stays that way, because uh, I I like that. Now, is there a director that you would uh, like love to work with or write for? Um, it's funny you say Paul Verhoeven because I every once in a while ping his uh, associate producer and she'll email me back. And I'm like, I would totally, I would totally uh, work for him. That would be totally, it would be amazing. Even though I don't really do thrillers and stuff like that. I think it would be super cool. I don't, and I don't actually know if he's even working anymore. I don't know if he is. <laughs> I, I think so. he did something yeah, a while ago. He's, he's gotta be, I mean, yeah, he's gotta be pretty old, getting up there. Um, yeah. But I mean, definitely him and uh, you know, there's, there's some comedy, there's some, some direct, it's more like showrunners for me. Like, um, you know, some of the shows that I've, I've really liked in the past have been comedies over the years. I mean, even, um, even older stuff like last man on earth and, you know, those, those showrunners I'd love to work with. And I don't even know a lot of their names. Some of the times it's just like, you know, I'll pick a show and I'm, I'm actually making a list of showrunners. I want to send curiosity to. And when I do that, then I'll kind of know, Oh yeah. You know, showrunners aren't usually in the forefront, so it's hard to remember who they are, but, um, it's more like who, what showrunners I want to work with, you know, mm -hmm. that'll pick, pick up my show. You know what I'm saying? Um, among the list of people you want to work with, is there anyone that you could really draw 
or that you could point to as someone you've drawn inspiration from as a creative? Yeah. So, um, I would say, uh, you know, I've, I've, when I was younger, I watched a lot of shows like the Goonies, remember all those shows from the eighties. Um, I'm trying to think of other ones, Goonies and, um, and who did, who did that? Who did that one? It was, uh, Oh, the Baron Munchausen. I'm trying to remember <laughs> the name of that. And he's still around too. I'm just looking him up really quick. Um, I always forget his name. Uh, Baron Munchausen. Yeah, that, that was super old. And he, uh, the director that directed that, um, uh, Terry Gilliam. Yeah. Terry Gilliam. Okay. Um, he, he's still around and he actually, yeah. he actually read London fog and he said he, I mean, his assistant said that he liked it. They just didn't have enough, you know, backing to, it's hard for him to get money for his films because they turned kind of into financial disasters, but I'd love, <laughs> I'd I love, <laughs> he's a, and he's a little bit difficult apparently, but I mean, I would, I'd love to still have the chance to write some little indie film for him. You know what I'm saying? I, I was going to ask, are you sure you want to have to deal with the Gilliam curse? I know. Right. I mean, I just, I, I'm a, I'm a, I attract like chaos like that. Like I'm just like, um, of course, Tim Burton is another one. And even though I write, I write comedies, um, a lot of the stuff I've written in the past is, is like fantasy oriented. And so, I mean, that would be just incredible to work, to work with Tim Burton. Um, yeah. uh, Alan Ball was someone that really, you know, influenced me. He, he did the whole six feet under series, you know, again, it's kind of older, but I think he's still going with some shows. Um, you know, uh, Wes Anderson is definitely a director I'd love to, to direct for or to write for, produce for. Um, and, you know, during COVID, it, it's really weird. It's like you can actually find people's, I mean, I mine for email addresses because I that's what I do for part of my living, um, like email marketing. And I can find people's, I haven't found Wes Anderson's, but I've, I can find people that are pretty big. And they answer, I would say, 50% more since COVID started. You can actually directly get to people. Hmm. So that's something maybe people would want to know. I don't, I don't know why. Maybe it's, we're all kind of leveled out, you know, at the same level yeah. now since we had some psychological thing, but yeah, it seems to be a thing. Yeah. Ironically, uh, Wes Anderson's people turned down an interview on this show. So we got to build our status a little more. Uh, that's cool. Um, so a lot of the writing like London fog is, is your stuff. Um, do you, have you had to write, I mean, I guess with Star Trek, but have you had to write using other properties and do you prefer obviously using your own stuff? Like, are you more of an original writer or do you like to work within confinements of other properties? Um, I would say, I would say it more original, but I can, I can definitely write within, you know, confinements of other properties as well. Um, I didn't write the Star Trek project. I, I produced it. I was one of the producers, but um, I have written for other people. I mean, mostly like commercial type stuff. Um, and I mean, it's, it's all about the people, you know, who you're working with. Are they collaborative? Do they hate their job? You know, <laughs> do they want to be there with you? Do they want you to be there at, at in the first place? You know I mean? Usually the answer is yes, but like, it's really about like, you know, how you're communicating with the people that are you're working with is, I think that is like the big thing more than what it is. You know, I don't really care what I'm, what I'm writing. If I'm working with great people and there's a great culture around it, um, and, and the ideas are, you know, relative and something that's marketable. I'm definitely in. Is, um, is there something you would like, you'd be interested in rebooting from your childhood? Oh, interesting. Um, it's funny. I just saw an advertisement for Punky Brewster and I was like, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Punky Brewster. But I was like, man, that's just like, no. Duh. Um, rebooting. It's a pretty good show, by the way, the, the new Punky. 
Is mm. it? Yeah, it's pretty good. Okay, okay. Funny Prince Jr.'s in it also. Oh, brother, okay. <laughs> Watch it just to see what um, reboot. I mean, let me think. Um, I'm not really like into like reboots that much, but I do. Like I said, I do love movies like you know, like the Goonies and stuff. I don't. I don't know if they ever did another one. I feel like they did, or they did like the Goonies two or something. Goonies. Goonies. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, I, that's a really bad answer. But yeah, I, I yeah. actually can't think of anything that I really would want to see again, you know, that's yeah. not because I think that those movies were so well done, you know, I mean, it kind of ruins them, you know, if, if you, I don't know. Oh, yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, now, with COVID, uh, obviously, a lot of like, you know, the way Marvel's working and even DC with the Snyder Cut, uh, things are going more from movies to more like almost like a like a serialized version of a movie, a longer format. Do you find that you are more attracted to more like shows since there are more being made or are you still more of like a, a film mindset? Um, I'm, I'm better off with TV now. I mean, I really feel like I, I think that if I could say like, I, you know, made a mistake in my career was I, the first thing I ever wrote was a TV was it was six feet under? Yeah, it was a six feet under, just like a example show, mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, and I got really good feedback off of it. And then I started writing features, and it was really hard for me. And then, and I, but I wrote a couple that were pretty good. And then I, but then once I started going back into TV writing again, I was like, oh my god, I should have done this years ago. It's so natural for me. Um, so of course, I want to watch, you know, and absorb, you know, what I'm what I'm watching. Um, just got done with. True Detective, which is like another dream show to work on for sure. Mm -hmm. Do you have other TV shows that you're watching right now that you're like just super into, whether they inspire you or not? Um, let's see. So True True Detective, I just finished that. Um, I think what I've been uh, been watching lately. I've been so absorbed in this movie. I have not really watched more than like one hour of TV in like the last month. Um. Star Wars. I mean, I got through the Star Wars on Disney Plus. That was that was really super cool. Even though people say like the the creative part of it's terrible, um, it, you know, everyone's like baby Yoda, or baby Yoda it out. But I still actually think it's really exciting and dynamic, and I think it's fun to watch that for sure. Yeah, yeah I, I'm I'm with you. <laughs> and I, I love, love Bosch. Love Bosch. I mean that you know, and I don't even write detective shows, but I I like watching detective shows. I don't know why. Um, not interested really. Maybe I'm just too mentally like writing lazy to come up with that kind of like you know not only are you writing something but not, you know straightforward then you've got to like make a mystery out of it yeah. which seems crazy <laughs> like, <Yeah>. okay <laughs> i don't know if that's even a possibility for me but so when when getting down to writing what what is your normal writing process obviously dylan and i use a whiteboard um but are you someone who writes like a linear story or do you kind of just pop around with ideas and then start like linking them together do you uh what's your normal writing process um i i brain dump first of all so i'll write down everything that i you know have been building up in my head about it um and then I take that brain dump and then I go, okay, you know, what, what parts of this could turn into scenes? I break those down still all out of order. Um, then I put them in acts and then I try and, I mean, I don't really like look at like a, I mean, there's all these systems for writing that are like, you know, so-and-so should be upset by page two and they should be losing hope by page seven. I don't really go by that, but I do a little bit. I'll, 
you know, I'll, I'll compare it to another script that's similar that someone's been successful at just to see if I'm kind of hitting those points a little bit, you know, so I'm not going way off into nowhere with the character arcs. Um, and then, you know, I hone and hone and hone. And then pretty soon I have an outline. Then I show it to a whole bunch of people and get a lot of notes. That's another thing I do. Um, and then I'll, you know, then I just, then it becomes a map for the first draft as opposed to fighting through the first draft. Mm -hmm. It's a map. So it's so detailed that you just, it's almost like it's really easy to just get through at least one draft. I, I was, um, turning one of our previous projects into like a, an outline this morning, doing like the beat sheet for it using the save the cat method. And I'm just like, man, this is like, yeah. All right. But it's a good, good outline. Or is there any like common writer advice that you find is just not worth following? Um, yeah, I think I, I actually really like save the cat. I think that if you, if you, if you try too hard to structure it, it, I mean, it's, I mean, it's obviously it's better if you know how to st structure, I mean, you have a, a basic idea, so you kind of break the rules, but um, the thing that just like killed me with the first, so I did curiosity, but before I did it, I was working with a whole nother team and it's a whole different script um, and it didn't work. And the thing that really didn't work was um, we tried to do this thing called nutshelling and it's, it's sort of a similar idea of like save the cat, but I think, I think save the cat is more, um, character based. This was basically like what I was saying, like by page five, by page six. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, and curiosity is a kind of a obscure film and it totally didn't work. Like the script was like bad. And I wrote like all these drafts of it. And, um, and then when I stopped, you know, when I w got away from that structure, then it, I wrote like literally wrote the, the draft that we shot. I mean, it was, we had did some tweaks, but I wrote it in like two days and I was, I nailed it after months of suffering. So I think if you, if you try and over, overdo it with that structure, you know, depending on what you write though. I mean, if, if you're writing like really high concept stuff, like I don't, I write kind of weird Wes Anderson ish type stuff. So it just depends on what you like to write. You know, if you're writing like a, a, a Christmas comedy, you know, it's like you're going to be probably better off if you, if you structure it exactly how people would expect, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, the way that the way my brain works when I'm trying to get into a story is I have kind of a, uh, a like a weird idea for what a, a story that I've never seen. Uh, and then I kind of throw it at Dylan and then he helps me kind of structure it out. What when coming up with London Fog, what was the inciting thing? What was the part of it that you're like, this is the story that I want to write? Well, um, I went to Christmas with my uh, with my husband to be's family, and they were so interesting and <laughs> kind of crazy. I was like, I have to write a movie about these people. This is so hilarious, and that's how it started. Was um, you know, and it actually was a true story. Uh, you know, my husband is a very artistic and you know oddball person like myself, and he grew up in this really conservative family. Um, and I made like a, a fantasy out of that. I mean, fantasy slash real, realistic fantasy out of it. Um, but it, it's usually when I, I meet someone or I, you know, curiosity is I I spend some time with my my stepfather, and I was like, oh my god, this guy is hilarious. Like, what if this and what if that? And that became a short film. And so it's usually when I'm I, I'm usually like sparked by people, you know, that I meet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm kind of the same way uh we just live in a very weird area so uh, yeah i have where do you, where do you guys where do you border, live border, 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 colorado oh you both yeah do? okay yeah 
plenty of characters out here to write I'm about. Sure, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, a lot of weirdos. Yeah, a lot of weirdos. Um, yeah, one of one of Dylan's rules, uh, and I don't I don't know if it's actually a rule. It's one of those things that he says is uh, write drunk and edit sober. Uh, do you find there's any validity in that whatsoever? Write drunk and edit sober. Um, I'm trying to think if I've ever written drunk before. I know, I know you're kidding. Um, uh, no, I I'm really like attached to like trying to make it work right away. So I, I just start out like immediately, you know, not, like I said, this is the only part of my life where I, I really super love detail oriented is when I'm writing. So I try and, you know, get the first draft as best as possible, probably too much. Um, and that is something that I have to work on because sometimes I spend too much time on the first draft and, and I'll go off into something that isn't working as opposed to just glaze, kind of like what you're saying, like kind of glazing over and be like, okay, I'll fix it later. I'll overdo it. And then mm -hmm. once it gets to like feedback, they're like, why'd you spend so much time on this? It's not working. I'm like, Oh, you know, on the third act or whatever. So, um, I would say that that is good advice that I will be taking. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't do that. And I spend time, I overspend time on the first draft for sure. I think it's yeah. commonly attributed to Hemingway and I've always taken <clears throat> it to mean, I used to have the same problem where the first draft, I'd always try to get it absolutely perfect. But I think I kind of take it as kind of have an outline because I found an outline does help me, but fly by the seat of your pants on that first draft and then, you know, go back and ground it a little bit once you've kind of gotten the mania out. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. It's no. a good idea. Yeah. Um, Dylan, Dylan also likes to text drunk and uh, edit sober the next day, too. Nice. <laughs> Just schedule them all out. It's yeah. great. I can schedule an entire day's worth of texts at night. So. Yeah. Uh, on, on all the projects you've been a part of, and obviously the different sets and everything, uh, is there a moment that kind of stood out where you're like, wow, this is a big deal? Like, I'm on, like, this, I make movies. Like, get, can you talk about that moment? Because it would have to be something, right? Like, is that, is that cool? <laughs> like, is that cool? It's okay. <laughs> insecure. That's fine. I, I, fine. The <laughs> most insecure person ever. <laughs> just kidding. Like, um, no, it's a duck. You know, I think, I think the, I mean, it definitely has happened. And like I said, I, you know, I, I, or maybe I didn't say this, but I, I have, I stopped the momentum years ago up until recently to write. So I wrote like, you know, six, seven, features and a bunch of pilots and stuff so that I could make my own stuff. So there's been like a leg in me being actually on set for a while um, besides the animated thing for Nat Geo and then this. Um, but I, I have to say, I mean, with, with curiosity, I think I definitely had that moment, but it was more like I was constantly in the way, especially like the second day. I felt like I was the, the person that was always in the shot by accident or I put my stupid water bottle on the table I was like in the bathroom when they were trying to shoot, you know what I'm saying? Like, like that, I was that guy, you know, that person, right? And I remember just standing like outside and looking at all the craziness and I'm like, it's going without me. Like, it's like, I don't have to do anything. Like, it's just kind of like its own little like, you know, ecosystem of, uh, you know, it's just like, I don't need to be, a, I mean, I don't need to be a part of it. And that that's more like what I felt. It was not so much like, wow, this is so big. It was more like, wow, look at this. This is working. I was so happy it was working. I was like, oh my God, it's working, you know? And I don't, and I, I did this thing and it's so exciting, but yeah, that's, that was, that's really fulfilling for me is, you know, just having everything go so smoothly and, and I just couldn't believe it was working. I mean, in the sense of I produced it from Texas and I'd never been to the set before the day before and stuff. So there was all this stuff that could have gone wrong. Um, yeah. So I hope that answers your question. Yeah, absolutely.
Uh, I'm, I'm a movie person. And I, for some reason, like when I was younger, uh, I sat in the theater a lot and I would let movies just kind of wash over me. And there was a couple movies that I would just be like, wow, like I am, this is something amazing. Has there ever been a movie that you watched that just kind of knocked you down or really just impressed you in a really well way? Um, well, the, an old version is, I mean, The Princess Bride is my favorite movie of all time. Um, a recent one would be when I saw Knives Out and then I watched it like three more times. I was like blown away by mm -hmm. that. That was like, what? You know, so good, right? So I think those are the two that just immediately popped in my head. Yeah. Princess Bride is such a great movie. I know they're trying to reboot it. Also, they did that weird like rereading thing recently. Did you happen to catch that? No. They, what, they what did happened? like a... They did like a, a, they had it was a virtual table read, wasn't it? It was oh, a virtual wow. table read, but it was in like five minute segments. Uh, and then like people would just have their own props and do whatever they wanted. It was actually really oh, pretty cool. It was like a fan recreation, one of those. No, it, it was celebrities, oh. but it was oh, the same thing. Right. Like they, they kind of held up their own stuff and did their own things. Mm -hmm. And like mm -hmm. Kevin Savage was a part of it. It was pretty cool. Um, I didn't realize how long that we've been talking. Uh, we were super interested in finding out all of your creative process, and we kind of went a little bit overboard. Uh, Dylan, <laughs> do you happen to have any more questions before we get into uh, what we no, do? No, I think I think I kind of got through my uh, my main ones. Yeah, oh. awesome. Uh, yeah, I think so. Okay, right. so our new best friend, Tasha Hardy. Uh, what we do now is we're going to throw a couple ideas at you, and we used to just work on everything because I pushed Dylan too hard, and then I underperformed, which is fine. Uh, but now what we do is we <laughs> <laughs> we have ourselves some kind of credit. You work yeah. way harder than I do. Yeah, work on your confidence skills. Right. I just I just talk a lot. Uh, anyway, so what we do now is we have our guest choose, uh, which is a lot easier for us. So if that's okay with you, we're going to throw some ideas. Uh, Dylan, who gets to go first? Me or you? I don't remember who went first last week. So right, well, I'll go first. I'll go first. Okay, then. you got uh, it. Okay, so I had this idea. Um, it's it's kind of an amalgamation of a couple things that that I've seen in real life, but uh, the idea was that there is uh, like a, a, a like a celebrity reality show. They don't know what the reality show is, but they all have to be in a certain place. And I have this idea that like the production fails or just doesn't show up so they're all stuck in this area uh with their own cameras thinking that they're part of a reality show they don't know and then some sort of uh hilarity ensues based on that like, uh, like survivor leaves everybody in the woods and doesn't tell them <laughs> yeah exactly like, yeah yeah they yeah <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> Okay. Uh, I, I don't really know what will happen after that, but I think it's funny mm -hmm. for people to show up. You know, there's so many reality shows like Naked and Afraid where you just go there, you have a camera, and you just like live uh, for whatever, and these people get there, and they're like, we don't, what do we do? And then uh, whatever. They just film themselves going crazy, I guess. But do, they, but do they think that they're still in the reality show even though they've been like abandoned or whatever? Well, they don't know they're abandoned, but yes, they definitely think they're on a reality show. <laughs> they, don't, they don't know what it's about, though. No. Okay, okay. They think they just have to survive in the woods, but they're all spoiled yeah, celebrities. Jeez. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's really funny. It's funny. I like that. All right. <laughs> okay. So uh, I don't know what I'm going to call this, but we're going to call it. Um, what do you think, Dylan? How about? Um, I mean, when it comes whatever. to when it comes to production stuff, you know, I'm pretty practical, so I would just say like fake Survivor. All right, we'll fake, come up with an actual title survivor. later. Cool. All right, fake celebrity Survivor. All right, Dylan, all what do right. you got? So this week I went down a little bit of a Wikipedia rabbit hole on urban exploration where people 
will just find an abandoned building or stretch of urban area and just kind of like almost treat it like a cave dive, like they're spelunking, but they'll find like old power plants and stuff like that. And there was one story I read where apparently Disney shut down one of their rides, which had an animatronic in it. And some urban explorers found out the animatronic was going to be decommissioned. And apparently Disney doesn't have a very good, like, reclamation thing that they tend to just junk them. So this group of urban explorers allegedly crawled into this abandoned part of Disney world and abducted this animatronic. So I want to do like a, like a fictionalization of that about a bunch of people who are huge fans of like this, you know, the world's biggest theme park. And they get news that there's going to be an old like heirloom animatronic decommission. So they do a heist against the park and try and sneak out with this, like, I don't know, 150 pound little like robot plane pilot or something. Is is the park still open? Yeah. The park's Why open, not? but they're the, they're committed the, they're they're sneaking into a part of the park that's been closed down for like maintenance or something. Oh, okay. And that's they're trying to sp- yeah, specifically to steal an old animatronic, which means they might have to like sneak in power tools or something and then get it out past security. Huh. I don't have anything beyond that. It was I just like a really that. interesting like that. story. That is an interesting story. Right. Yeah, I've never seen anything like that before. Hmm. Yeah, pretty cool. Pretty interesting. Okay, so uh, Miss Hardy, you have uh, the the very very amazing choice of choosing which thing we get to work on now for a little bit. We have a fake celebrity survivor uh, versus uh, an animatronic heist. Uh, right? Is it heist? It's a heist, yeah, right? Sure. Yeah. All right. Cool. I read on. Um, so I, I really like them both, um, but I think I think the animatronic heist. I've never seen anything like that before. I think that's pretty cool. Excellent, perfect. All, right. All okay, I had to do to so. get my idea chosen is sorry, Zach. <laughs> He's won that's the okay. last like three or four weeks in a row. Oh, okay. There you go. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Dil- Dylan needs this. He yeah. Okay, good, he good. needs this as much as I don't need this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, we are going to get into this. We're going to figure out what the story is. We're going to get it no. all down, and and uh, Dylan's going to teach me how to be a better writer. Uh, before we do that, though, we do have to thank a couple people. Number one, IBM TV. Thank you so much for having us on here. We really appreciate the opportunity to uh, write on this thing and, and find weird ways of cleaning it off later. Uh, <laughs> just so you know, Windex does not work. I messed it up. Anyway, uh, some of our people behind the bits with Scott Curtis. It's a great show. Scott Curtis is an amazing interviewer. Uh, he's obviously better uh, than we are. Uh, but anyway, that's a, that's a difference. He, he is an award-winning podcaster. Uh, so you can go check out his show. We also have our East Coast friends, uh, Tonya Sheck, Sarah Tukacic, and Listener App. If you're on Instagram, you can check out at the greatest podcast app. Um, Dylan. Zach. My friend. Let's do this. You won this one. You won this I did. one. So we got to get All this right. thing going. Okay, so we have an animatronic theft, which means we yes. have a, a a reason that this thing's being shut down. We have a, a cast of characters that need to do this, and then we have uh, hilarity that needs to ensue, right? Yes. Now, I guess you see this as a single thing, right? Not like a series, but a, a like a, yeah. a, a insulated film right is that yeah what probably is? A, probably a movie or a short film of some sort i think there's probably enough i think we could probably come up with enough to do like a feature length thing but obviously like right at this point in the process i don't think length is something we need to really worry about um yeah so i was seeing the main kind of plot points that we would hit and this these are just kind of like the anchor points um we have the world's largest theme park uh it can be 
pretty heavily inspired by Disney, clearly. Um, but you know, with the serial numbers filed off, they shut down a part of their park or a ride for like maintenance, and it's shut down for a long time. Like it becomes that. Are they ever going to open up so and so? No, I think the ride is that you just kind of ask that question all over. Um, we have a group of <laughs> urban explorers who like to just kind of break into off limits areas and just kind of see what's back there. And they are fans of this park. They learn that in the back of this, there's allegedly a, an animatronic of some sort, which is probably just like a fan favorite character that they haven't brought back yet. And they're like, yeah, there's no news of that. They're doing anything with them. So they break into the park and they see that it's been tagged. Apparently Disney will tag with like a red slip. They'll like attach a red cloth to animatronics are going to decommission. So they go into the back, back seat, back set and find that it's going to be decommissioned. And, you know, they're like, we can't let them throw this out. We got to get people, you know, people are going to want to see this just even as a display piece. So they get a bunch of people together. They somehow figure out how to break into a theme park and get away with one of their animatronics, which are like 250 pound robots. So do you think that um, th this is like a, a multiple attempt kind of a situation or are they going to just go in during the daytime because you're allowed in? Cause obviously it's going to be hard to break into a, a Disney type theater or a, a establishment if they're closed. So I, th I think this is probably they had probably get one shot. You have the ticking clock with the fact that this park is going to decommission this this thing. Uh, and you can maybe we have that where um, they're like, you know, we can try to get in there any amount of time. And then there's an announcement that like after years of no progress being made, that uh, so and so parks is finally breaking ground on their renovations. And so that's their impetus to really like get it going. Yeah. Um, okay, do you want to talk about the characters that are doing this, or do you want to start talking about the park or what this uh, uh, ride thing is? Either or. I didn't have okay. a whole lot of characters in mind. I know, obviously, the main characters. I suspect we have um, someone who works in the park that can be there in maybe an entire group of people. Maybe this is an ex-employee, the one who is like kind of initiating all of this. Um, Tasha, any thoughts on characters, either archetypes or anything that kind of sticks out as people who would appear in something like this? Anything in mind? Um, well, I'm just thinking like, is there, is there someone who's like a, a like the, the villain, you know, like the, someone that's consistently trying to stop them? You know what I mean? Like one person, or do you think it's just like, it's more about the conflict within themselves of trying to take it and not agreeing on the way to do that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And trying to get past all these different people. I guess it just depends on. Yeah. I like that being like a squad of security that I was thinking security guards as well, like local park security. Um, yeah. And we could, we could have them portrayed as like very competent, very vigilant, but required to wear the rabbit ears as part of yeah, their yeah. Like, costume. You know, they, they have to yeah. wear whatever the yeah. mascot costume is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but so, I do like I, I do like your idea of like the fighting of how to actually go get yeah. this plan going off. So I think that's a really good start to this would be the the, the planning stage. Yeah. How do you feel about that, Dylan? Sure. Um, yeah, you have that initial part where you introduce them. Some guy, someone works at the park. Someone is climbing into. I mean, we can set this in Florida. We can set this in. I, I say we set it next door in Louisiana. So that way you can still okay. have kind of that swampy, like, 
you know, well, Love it. you know, he bought the land cheap because it's a literal swamp. And then he built this massive theme park on top of it. So that explains why there's a whole bunch of maybe abandoned tunnels they can run around in because they've been abandoned as they like sink into the ground. They just keep getting okay. built over. Um, but yeah, um, what do you, what are you feeling for this next segment, Zach? What are we covering first? Well, I like I like the planning stage. I think that's a funny way of like learning who your characters are. I think that we need to build out, uh, uh, I guess, what the impetus is, like what why why they want this thing so bad. So we need to gather up our characters here. I think so. If if you were to have normal archetypes of uh, the heist movie, right, uh, and we'll just yeah. do disney yeah we'll do theme of park things. versions of them what I'm what seeing, are what are norm so Go you've ahead. got i'm seeing the main characters kind of an urban explorer they're very agile they're able to like climb and kind of sneak um maybe they have a friend who's very good at talking their way out of it we have that initial scene where they have to maybe they're exploring an old like oil refinery and the cops show up and it's like you know, the two of them and one of the friends kind of takes over the social interaction of that. And we see that one of them's really good at getting them into places. And one of them's really good at getting them out of trouble. Um, now, why, seeing, are they take are they taking this to steal to like sell it? Are they taking this to like, just uh, keep it? Uh, what, what, what are they, what, what do they want? What do they want to do with this thing? Once they get it? I, I, I think it should have some sort of sympathetic weight to it. Um, Maybe it was like, maybe they have a parent figure who was really, who was important on working on it. Maybe, maybe that gives them another link to the park. Yeah. I like that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's not bad. Um, yeah. Like their parent, their parent was like one of the designers of this specific ride. And so that also gives them a way of having like kind of insider news. Cause they would know people from their parents work where it's like, yeah. Old Roger in, you know, the arcane, kingdom i don't know you know the definitely not the magic kingdom uh yeah <laughs> said that he said that they're going to be re reconfiguring this ride and they're getting rid of whatever the nickname for the animatronic is because they all have little character names so this this is almost this is similar to like almost like a high school heist kind of a movie where it's like yeah very low stakes very low things but to them it's a big deal yeah i, 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 think, I think that's cool i think the worst case i think worst case scenario what happens to these kids that they get caught and i've been kind of imagining them as like late teens like mm -hmm. high school maybe they're on their way to college or something or thinking about it is the worst thing that can happen is they get kicked out of the park and banned from it they might have like a trespassing count on their record or something we're not i don't think we go super high stakes on this okay. um but i think we do i think we do realistic concern you know yeah. like um now, Tasha, when writing a story, and I know that uh, Dylan and I, we, we talk about this often, but do you start or how often do you use like the three arc structure when just trying to get down a basic story? I, I don't. <laughs> okay. I don't. I don't. I, I just, I start out with the story and then I, I do that later. Like that's like the second part of it. Cool. Okay. So it is sort of like, it naturally happens as I go along, you know? Yeah. In a story like this, uh, would you build your characters first or would you build kind of motivation or the story first? Because sometimes characters can lead you down how a story can go, I think. Yeah, I would do. I would definitely. I mean, this is just like the way I work is I, I come up with the characters first. Then I, I think of the story and how they can usually like how they connect with each other. And then I then I go back and say, OK, now there definitely has to be like a, a structure, like a three act structure. 
but that usually comes like last, but that's just how I do it. I mean, people do it all different ways, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I have no way and uh, we like to learn, we like to learn <laughs> no everybody's way. way. So this is great. <laughs> uh, okay. So I, I'm, ass I'm assuming that this, this team has to be four people, right? Uh, it can't be larger than five, I don't think. And I think two of them have to be siblings because I okay. think once you said the thing about the parent, then I think that that kind of connected with me. It's like, all right, well, if we're going to go heart with this and sympathy, then you're going to need more of, of the yeah. sympathy thing. So if there's like a, a older, younger sibling that work at the park, uh, um, maybe the parent just passed. Um, either that. Oh, actually, no, I like the idea that the sibling still works at the park. I was going to say like the main character and like the second main character are siblings who like go out and explore together. But I like the idea that like after the dad was unceremoniously had his employment terminated. And so this is them trying to preserve his legacy. Maybe um, yeah. one of the kids stayed employed at the park and that's been a point of tension between them. Like, I don't know how you can still take that money after what they did to dad. And it's like, I still got to take money from someone and they pay well or something like that. Then you yeah. have that little gonna... kind of tension back and forth struggle between the two. Cool. Um, now, do we want to start this off in the planning phase, right? Do, do, do you think that's cool? Because that seems like a really easy way to get an exposition kind of a, uh, like so, not a dump, but. I, I had an idea for what the first bit of this might look for. I just kind of jotted them down. Um, okay. I, I The first scene, like, you know, the intro scene for these, for the two main characters is they're doing like their little expositional dialogue while they're climbing all over an abandoned oil platform because it's the coast it's the southern coast so they'll be able to like take a boat out and kind of like climb up on top of one of those and get around and then they the coast guard rolls up and they have to talk their way out of getting in trouble and they're like our boat ran up on this and it's dark so we thought we'd just kind of hang out and that's kind of our introduction to them to show that they're capable of getting into and out of situations Okay. And then they're hanging out at the park. And I think we that's kind of when we hit with the news that like, hey, you know, they're going to tear down dad's ride, right? And he goes, what do you mean? Well, they're going to be re renovating that entire section of the park. And they built that in the 60s. It's covered in lead paint or something like that. Cool. Um, and is, is the parent also deceased or just just like? I figured either dead absentee or otherwise like a non- I, they could be present in the story. Yeah. Maybe they're sick and they're trying to do this as like a... Yeah, yeah. 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 Got a sick parent. That. Yeah. Cla classic look, sick what, Look what I got, Dad. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> 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 I love you. Okay, cool. <laughs> it's like, this is full of lead. Get this out of the hospital. Yeah. Um, okay, so our team is uh, an ex-employee and their sibling who still works there. They yes. have a friend who's good at talking. Um, <laughs> and I'm assuming that they have somebody else who is probably uh, part of security. Is that like the, the good thing? Are they, uh, I think they, should have, they should at least be able to partway through make contact with someone who's good at like mechanical stuff so they can get an animatronic off of its housing without damaging it too much. Yeah. yeah. Are they gonna are they just straight up taking this animatronic or are they gonna swap it with something then? Oh, I figured they just take it. Um just take the it. current the current spot where this happened in Disney World, um the thing the animatronic was cut out with like an angle grinder. 
Like, oh, cool. it is it is just sliced off its housing. Yeah. All right. So I figured they would just be like, we don't need it to work. We just want to make sure it doesn't get trashed. All right, cool. Um, so what what other scenes do you see happening throughout this thing? They have to be in the park. They have to be mm-hmm. getting out of the park. They have to sneak into the area. What, what are some scenes to, to start plugging in this timeline? I'm seeing one where the main character, we show that he's like antagonistic with a security guard. So that way we have reason to like want to avoid them running into each other later, even if it's just an innocent visit to the park. Um, so like maybe there's, so, so is there a scene where like they're like all, all of our, our team get together and they're looking at the, 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 the part that they're going to take down and security guards like, you guys got to get out of here. You know, you can't be here. And then the yeah. one like, well, I work here. And it's like, so what? You can't be in this side. So yeah. in that way you start all that friction off. It's like, you don't work here. You work here, but you yeah. don't work here. So you need to get back to your station. Someone along those okay. lines. So then we got to move the plan back a little bit, the planning thing. Yeah, I think the uh, planning is not the immediate thing, but I th- we, we get to it. We don't waste any time. I'm not a fan of, or, I don't like just kind of spinning the wheels. Yeah, or or is like the end of the planning kind of like that end of the first arc of this thing, where it's like we learn about it, we know who our characters are, we establish what the plot is, and then now they're getting into like the planning fight of how do we get this thing out of here. Potentially, I think that might be a little... I think I think they need to have the make the decision first, and then once they really kind of make their mind up about what they're going to do, then we get into it. Okay. Um, and what do you think they're going to do? How are they going to do this? Well, so I think we use the siblings' job somehow. Either like maybe they work in hospitality and they have one of those rolling carts, and they just kind of like. Ugh, and cover it with a like a tablecloth or something and just it's that thing where it's like they organize they pretend to organize a whole elaborate bait and switch to get security off their back and it's like and while he's checking we roll him right out the door or something like that uh, okay it all has to go wrong too of course <laughs> right <laughs> yeah be like absolutely unexpected elements of uh things um there okay so it um, what as a comedic scene, what do you think about them trying to turn this into a mini float situation? Like they have this statue <laughs> and they put themselves in like other costumes. I'm like, no, no, this is a, this is a part of a uh, of a float. Because you when, know, if you've been to Disney, like you're just walking, and all of a sudden it's like you got to get out of the way. There's a there's a there's a parade coming. Yeah. It's like, oh god. All right, fine. The, it could be either that, or they're like infiltrating it, and they like go in in costume and do that freeze thing where they back into the diorama, and they just yeah. hold their hold position while the security guard like sweeps over them with the flashlight or something. <laughs> so either one of those, yeah. Um, I, I do it. like. I I think implement. I think using a parade really helps reinforce the theme park aspect because Disney does, I think, two parades a day in each park or something like that. Oh, my yeah, God. It's, it's yeah. crazy. Um, okay, so does do they do this once and it fails? Do we get to see a failed attempt at this? Or is the planning and the fight at the planning, is that where, like, the comedic failure happens? I like I like the idea of them failing the first time and it gets a security guy kind of, like, ready to catch them again that way when they do manage to outwit him it's like you know they manage to reverse it finally and they yeah they pull one up on him now is there any what are the pull, phrases pull, pull one over on him 
<laughs> uh, is there anything where is there anything in the story where like say they they try multiple times and multiple times multiple times and then at the end they're like oh maybe we just can't do this whatever and they just find it the trash in the back no i i, I <laughs> <laughs> there's there's humor to that but i i think i like the idea that they manage to succeed on their own competence like all right I'll, i'm into that yeah heist success all right what other scenes do you want to see in this thing I'm always a fan of a little bit of side plot romance. I don't know if like there's a there's an old coworker he used to work with at the park that like whenever they stop in it's always like don't you know don't go she works at the carousel don't go see her it's gonna throw <laughs> off the entire plan that carousel ride is six minutes long we do not have time for you to go on there and then you know it's he's got to deal with the so he like sees her taking tickets at the carousel and he goes. We got we got six minutes, and then you know it throw it throws the whole plan on its head yeah, or something go, like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, or the opposite, like the girl is part of the team, uh, and then a, a guy who works there is like, "Oh, I didn't expect to see you today," and she's like, "I got I gotta go," and he's like, "I well, just let me just you know I'm oh. about to go on break in like ten minutes. Uh, let me just follow you around or whatever." If if she works, so if she works at a ride which has like a maintenance hatch into the tunnels or something, and the yeah. idea is to like clear the line or something, and this dude just keeps hitting on her, that could be a pretty yeah. good one for that. Yeah. All right, I like that. Um, okay, so where else? Where, where, what do we need to plug in here? I mean, I'm fine just coming up with set pieces at this point. Um, right, the cool. actual story beats, like, I mean heists aren't very complex when it comes to story beats like you know you 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 meet the characters you find out what they're taking they establish a plan they get the team together there's the t the tilt and then they manage to succeed despite it so i don't think we need to worry too much about the progression of events i just think we have this setting that is very very rich in like spectacle and a lot of options for nonsense so I think yeah. we just kind of come up with, you know, how these people can pull off a heist inside a theme park while avoiding bunny ear security guard. <laughs> uh, okay. So let's work on what this statue is and what, what these characters are, I guess. Right. Yeah. So this, this land is called, uh, what, what did you say earlier? Uh, I don't think I gave it an actual name. I, I was just doing not Disney world. Um, right, so so this thing is like what, like a like a bunny? It's it, obviously it's not a mouse. Another rodent, yeah. It's a possum. Right? Okay. It just screams. Um, possum. Possum land. Right. <laughs> we're gonna call it we're gonna call this possum. <laughs> a, a possum park. Right? Possum park. All right, so we got possum park here, and uh, <laughs> it's set in like the suburbs of Chicago. Dude, I hate possums. They are so weird looking. Oh no, they're fine. Um, I'm pro yeah, okay. I'm pro possum. <laughs> I, I know, and it's it's one of our biggest contentions, honestly. They used to uh, when I lived in Michigan. There used to be a little <laughs> possum mom who would walk around the neighborhood with her babies on her back. Aww. And I, I always worked until I always got home at like two a.m. from work, and she'd always be just kind of trundling around the neighborhood. And I'm like, all right, <laughs> yeah. all right. power to you. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Uh, okay, so uh, it, and this is is this like the the possum king, right? Is that what they're taking down, oh, or <laughs> no? I it, I don't think it should be a main character. I think it should be a side, or like a, a side, side character. character, something right. something that would be left backstage instead of immediately repurposed. Something that's not okay. quite so important. So like the equivalent of like 
I don't mean I'm I don't say this to hurt you, Zach, but the equivalent of like Mar- Marvin Martian. Whoa, why well, I gotta say that one? That's he's a side, great he's a side character. He's a side character. He's an amazing side character. You're he right. Has a wealth which of is characterization. You're exactly the person to run a heist to rescue the Marvin the Martian animatronic from backstage. Okay, all right. So uh <laughs> we're <laughs> we're gonna say uh like okay, Simon so the Skunk okay. or something. So, okay. <laughs> sure. I don't know. Um, I, yeah. I'm trying to think along the lines of like animal, you know, an- anthropomorphic animal characters or like Ma- Maddie the Mantis. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay with the skunk. That's, that's fine. Okay. Yeah, uh, s- yeah skunk's got to go anyway. Um, okay. So we have our, our group. Do you want to run down what we have so far just to see where we can like kind of fill this in? Cause I think there's a, yeah. a couple really weird gaps. So we've got, um, the largest theme park in the world shuts down one of its rides, which was built Possum by the park. main character's father, Possum Park. Um, the main character used to work at this park and left when they didn't treat their father. Well, maybe probably terminated his employment because of his illness or something. Their older employee still works at the park in some capacity. Um, but the main character it does urban exploration with their friend. They we we meet them doing like they they're on an oil tanker, they talk their way out of like getting taken in by the Coast Guard. They go see their dad who is ill. They go to the park because even though they don't like it, he has a lifetime pass as a as a former employee. So man, he just goes in to hang out. Uh, maybe he you know, just enjoys the food, hangs out with his friends who still work there. They learn that the park that their dad designed is going to be refer or uh, completely removed and completely remade into some sort of licensed theme park based on a recent blockbuster. So mm-hmm. kind of what mm-hmm. they did with like Pandora world to animal kingdom, that sort of thing. Yeah. So skunk, um, skunk city is gone. In skunk comes, city skunk city's gone in comes pillar of saltville oh yes yeah <laughs> at some nobody's world um yeah planet nowhere um then um so they decide well they i think i figured they try to get it just like on the up they're like hey is there any way we can just like you know you we know what happens when you decommission these things you just tear them apart for scare, spare parts can we like have this donated somewhere and they're just like nope not not in our uh, not in the way we process things. So that's their like initiate an incident to decide to steal it. Um, they get a team together. They have their first failure, which heightens security. They manage to get maybe like one or two other people on board, and they manage to do it despite it looking like they failed again. And I'm seeing this probably ending with like maybe their dad's on like home care or something like that. And they put this thing in the back of a pickup truck and they just drive it back to the house. And it's not so much that they take it for ownership. They probably donate it somewhere afterwards. Like I, you know, I'm always a fan of support either like a museum or like maybe a library even it's like, yeah, yeah. you live, you're, you're a library in this town have a piece of local history. And then yeah. the, the big catharsis of the movie is the dad seeing that at least a part of his legacy is going to be preserved. Thanks to the, way that his kid went about kind of, you know, fighting the man that put him down. The specifics inside, I think the specifics in this are going to be reliant on the fun of the set pieces. Um, I'm seeing the scene where they're getting chased by security. 
and security runs past, like, you know, they stop by one of the full body mascot suits. It's like, you see so-and-so looks like this, holds up a cell phone, and they point in the direction, they take the hat off, and it's a person. And then yeah. the person who's in the mascot suit's like in the bushes in their boxers or something, and they're like, <laughs> cash, cash only. It's like, all right, here's your 30, here's your 30 bucks. Thanks for the rental. <laughs> um uh now do you want to do like an oceans 11 kind of thing where it's like there's the heist and there's the heist and then there's the actual like the real heist where like they think something's going on but then also there's like a paramedic coming in and they take the state the statue out like on a gurney with like the, oh that's not bad you know, like a white <laughs> sheet on bad. it yeah yeah um what any idea either of you what a um if it's a giant skunk animatronic what could that pass for if you like cover it up maybe is there anything that You'd see this being like kind of a bait and switch swap for. Well, you, I mean, this is really weird. I don't know why I even thought of this, but you could say they could say that like some large animals snuck into the into the park and that they had they had to come and remove it and like tranquilize it. You know what I'm saying? Oh, <laughs> you could that's have, cool. Like, like, some like super, like yeah, I mean, I, I, this is way out there. You know what I'm saying? Like, so you, something like that. You know, that it, that's that's a really good uh, like. I actually Starfish like that a lot. Cover where it's yeah, like, it's like God, there's a cougar. There's a cougar in here. Like we got to get this big cage, and they put the skunk in the cage, and they get out like we're a. We're getting reports. To... We're getting reports that there's a wild animal in the park, and security yeah, guy is like screams and runs away, and then and then of yeah. course you have to have someone see just as they're if they make out with it, of course, just as they're going out, they see like a part of the animatronic, and they're like, that just looks like plastic, like is it just a little piece of a tail or yeah. something? Like, that doesn't look like a yeah that yeah. And if we can get like uh, if we can get a mascot that's roughly the same like a mascot costume that's roughly the same size as the animatronic, we could do a thing where we like uh, the head of security. We kind of like tape his mouth and you know bind his hands, but put him in the mascot suit oh. so it looks like the animatronic. <laughs> and if you're like, no, it's right there, and they take the, the hat off or whatever, and it's the security guy. It's like, what's going on? And that's when they're wheeling out the the dangerous animal cart that actually yeah. has the animatronic in it. All right, I, I'm into this. This is like a weird little Scooby Doo thing. Yeah, yeah, it's like, it's a oh yeah, it's a low stakes heist movie. Yeah. <laughs> okay, of, so our main commentary on uh, you know current theme park nonsense. Yeah. So our our main characters at Possum Park. Uh, what? How how old is the is the older one? Uh, I'm seeing these all as like late teenagers. All right, so like a like, nineteen like, year old. Like, are you are you going to be working at the park over the summer? Or are you going to be ready getting ready to go to Louisiana State. It's like, yeah. you know, I don't really want to go to Louisiana State, but you know, dad says, or you know, so and so says college is probably the next step. It's like, eh, is it? Yeah. All right, I'm into that. And, and um, that way, you have you have that um, higher level ticking clock of like these characters need to do something before they all go their separate ways in the world. So you've got the ticking clock of the park being recommissioned, and you have that larger ticking clock on the character level of like. These guys need, you know, this could be their last hurrah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, I love this. Where we got to where we got to fit stuff stuff in for here? I mean, we got plenty of room for more set pieces. Um, if we want to do like, how do they, well, how we do need they get to, a team together? I was gonna say we need a team building scene. Yeah. Um, I hope it's not like Mystery Men, but <laughs> have you seen um, Mystery Men? No bits and pieces. Oh, geez. Are you talking about the movie, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, He's always right? talking about the movie. Yeah, the yeah. All... 
I am always talking about the movie. Uh, but yeah, the older one with like Ben Stiller and stuff, where they do yeah, that, yeah. that. I like that movie. Some people hate it though. I don't know. Oh, hate it. I love it. No, I'm a okay, big good. fan. All right, I love it too. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a big fan. <laughs> don't let Zach pressure you. What? No. Um, <laughs> people, are, people are very opinionated about that movie, though. Like mm. when I talk about yeah. it, every once in a while I'll bring it up, and some of them they either hate it and they're like it's so stupid and doesn't, mm. or they love it. <laughs> you know, I don't know why. No, I, I I love it. I think it's very very good. Um, now. Uh, Tasha, have you ever spent a lot of time on a project that just does not work out? You're just like, I, I can't, I can't do this. Um, yeah, I, ha yes, <laughs> I definitely yeah. have, I have a couple of features that I've written and they just, they don't work at all. And I've spent months on them. Um, and definitely like a couple of the things that I've worked in production on, you know, went on forever and I, they didn't really go anywhere. I, I didn't like the final product. Yeah. For sure. I'm yeah. Happy. Now, do you do you try to keep it as a whole and then come back to it later thinking like this might be good? Or do you take the parts out of it that you like and try to work some other story with it? Um, sometimes uh, sometimes I'll go one way or the other. Usually I'll just put it down. If it's something I've written, I'll put it down for a while and then pick it up later. Um, like this this year, my writing partner and I have two scripts that just don't work, but we, we can see enough to where we want to save them and rewrite them. And now we can see them from a, a fresh perspective because it's been like a couple of years. So usually I'll put them down for a year or two or months and then come back and pick it up. Now, with working with your writing partner, do uh, do you guys always collaborate on, on like all of your projects? Or are they kind of like your team? Yeah, yeah. Um, every once in a while, like, Curiosity happened to be something I wrote when in between writing stuff with her when she was in she went back to school for a while But usually it's always with her Yeah, now are, do you have team dynamics? Like is one of you the one who kind of comes up with the concepts and the other one kind of uh, Focuses and tells you that it's not a very good idea uh, <laughs> No, I'm just kidding uh, <laughs> you have, I'm, that, That's a joke Dylan you you have great ideas. Uh, obviously this is yours uh, do you guys find that you have like team dynamics or is it almost equal both sides? Um, it's, we definitely have our strengths. So her strength is to see everything from like, um, uh, like a higher level of how the story's working and like the, the, you know, arcs of the characters and, you know, when, what happens when to engage the audience. Um, I'm very into, um, coming up with original ideas and building the characters and the dialogue. Um, so that's something that I think that we both, you know, works well for us because we go kind of hand in hand there. Yeah. yeah, I find that working with a with a partner definitely helps out because uh, I I think you definitely need that other set of eyes to go like, yeah. uh, that's that's too much. That's too much. <laughs> Cut that out. Uh, all right, Dylan. What else we got? We got to work on here. So we have the team building. We have uh, probably the first failed experiment. We have the planning yeah. stage. <laughs> What, what is in our set piece you want to see in this? Well, I think the ending, I think just kind of like where they, how they wind up at the end. Cause if they manage to get it out of the park, the security guy's going to know who did it Yeah. at that point. Right. And I'm kind of leaning towards the point towards like at the end of this, maybe him showing that he's a little bit more of a softy than we originally thought. It's just like, all right. I'm I'm gonna let you off on this, but you pay full price to come back to the park now, or something like that. Okay. So security kind of lets them out. Yeah, security gives them a slap on the wrist because it's like you know, I ain't you know I may work at Possum Park, but I ain't no rat. Uh, nice. 
<laughs> uh, I, I like that. We got a couple minutes. What do you, what do you want to plug in here? Uh, I think we still should kind of like figure out. Oh, who... just the ending. Okay. Do you like not, not, do the, you... not the ending? I think the ending is the ending kind of figures out itself. I think coming out with interesting introductions for the team building scene is kind of going to be. I think the le- the the unique thing that we tackle right now. All right. So our main our main team consists of the the siblings, right? One that works yeah. there, one that doesn't, and then their friend. Uh, they need what, like two more people on their team to pull off the heist. They need yeah. the animal. They need the animal wrangler person uh, that makes it look legit when that rescue comes in. And they need what, like a tech person. To... I think they need someone who knows how to disconnect it without hurting it, or you know, the uh, damaging it rather. Yeah. Um. So it's I don't like know. A if high we, level mechanic. I don't know if they specifically need an animal wrangler because I thought that was all going to be misdirection. Um. Maybe they recruit one of the character actors, like one of the character people who wears the suits in there. They're like, "Hey, you want to do an acting gig that's guaranteed to be the biggest one you've done?" And he's like. I was the lead in in a community production of um, Scarface, <laughs> so you're gonna have some pretty big shoes to fill. Okay, all right. So and then, we have and then that that person is kind of like the one who they're the kind of the face that distracts everybody while the rest of them go on about it. Maybe it was. Love maybe it. it's like a local theater person they know who has applied to the park multiple times and has gotten rejected every single time, despite their own like opinion of their acting skills. Yeah, I like that. That's funny. That reminds yeah. me of when I used to work at Renaissance Fair. Is like they're <laughs> they take things really seriously. Yeah. Yep. I know people like that. Um, <laughs> and he'll be he'll be the one who like is the is the animal wrangler. They show mm-hmm. up in costume and put on that act, and we have that preparation scene where they're dressed up like it, and he keeps trying to do accents or something. Yeah, like, I like that. There's no reason for this person to be German. It's like, well, it en- it enriches the character. It gives me motivation for it. It's man, we'll give you something more to do next time, but you don't need to do that for this one. <laughs> and then, of course, he does it anyway in in the in the act, and you have that little shot where the person observing with a walkie-talkie just rolls her eyes and is like, <sighs> Steve's doing the accent again. Just let him do it. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I think we got this kind of put together Yeah, for the most part. Like, we got to get sit down and actually do some work oh, now. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Tasha, when you have an outline for a story and you're like, okay, this is a rough outline of uh, here's all the jibber-jabber uh, of how this thing's going to go. What was the next process that you do? You sit, do you, do you work on a timeline of the story or do you really just start like understanding who your characters are? Yeah, I would say I, I just make sure I understand who the characters are, you know, what kind of, cause I'm trying to like nail as much as I can on the first draft. So I may go over it a few times and plug in anything that, you know, isn't clear, you know, make sure the main characters have, you know, at least the, I have the background in my head of, you know, who, who they should be um, as people and where they're coming from and what their motivations are. And then I pretty much start writing. Cool. All right. Well, we got to get yeah. down to work. Uh, <laughs> now, how do you feel about this aggressively rough draft of this weird uh, theme park heist? I think it's a really good idea. I mean, I've never seen anything like it before. I think it could totally work. 
I mean, of course, as a producer, I'm like the budget. Whoa, you know. Yes. <laughs> Locations yeah. are going to be hell, but that's gonna be yeah. a little bit of a. But you never, you never know. You know, maybe someone would donate their, uh, I don't know, their theme park or something. You know, you just never know what people people would do for, especially during COVID. Um, if you can find someone who has like a, I mean, it would be better if it was a huge theme park, but you don't know if someone's out there going like, I need promotion for my theme park. No one's coming to it because they're afraid of COVID. You know, and you can rent it for. You know, if you put the advertising all over the place to help them, you never know. Oh man! All right, Dylan, you got you got to make some phone calls. There's that. I was just thinking. There's that park in Lakewood. Um, I don't oh, know. Yeah. Called, I don't know what it's called. I've been there a few times. I I don't know what they're do- I don't know what they're up to now. Lakeside Amusement right. Park is what it's called. Yeah. All right, I'll give them a call. Yeah, I got to make an animatronic <laughs> and then give them a call. <laughs> Okay, uh, Miss Hardy, thank you so much for taking your time and just hanging out with us and talking about some stupid stuff that uh, hopefully I can get Dylan to write out. Uh, <laughs> <who knows. laughs> no, uh, but yeah, it was such an honor. You've worked no. on some great stuff. Uh, we're like how everything's going. We're excited to see London Fog. Um, is there anything that you want to tell people to go visit? Do you have a website? Is there anything at all that uh, we can do for you to help uh, get your publicity and your name out there? Um, the only thing that I'm working on now, uh, pretty much full time, is is the curiosity film. So you can we have, we do have a website up for it. Um, it's curiositythefilm.com. You can look at um, you know our updates and as we go through post here. Um, but that's pretty much all I'm working on now. And then I have another one called I Love You So Much. That's another uh, short and proof of concept for a TV series shooting in Austin next year. So those are the two things I'm working on. Right on. Awesome. Yeah, definitely keep us posted, and we will do what we can to uh, mm-hmm. push it in as many people's faces as possible. Uh, we are a huge fan of yours, so uh, we're looking forward to everything. But thank you so much for your time again, and, well, yeah, we appreciate it. Um, Dylan, we wrote another weird thing. We did it. <laughs> uh, one more weird thing that we're going to have to work on. Oh, yeah. um, but. Either way, folks, what we're trying to do is just show you that creation is fun. You can take a really stupid idea and then turn it into something. Maybe. Who knows? Uh, this might turn into a comic book or something because I'm not sure if we can get the funding to go to a, a theme park or <laughs> even how to make anim- one, yeah. Yeah, animatronics. And also, I hate possums, so I don't really want to deal with that. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but either way, just create something. Just write some stuff down. Stupid ideas can be anything. It's no big deal. But thank you so much for watching or listening or uh, subscribing or commenting or liking or sharing or whatever it is that you're doing. Either way, we appreciate it. Uh, check out London Fog whenever you can find it. It's going to be amazing, I'm sure. Go to curiositystfilm.com and check that out. Uh, special thanks to IBM TV for once again, just letting us talk and then giving us uh, sound waves to throw out into the world because I need to talk and I need Dylan to pay attention to me and he won't text me back. So whatever. Oh, uh, if you want to see... Anyway. I told him when we met. That's true. He's like, I don't, I don't text back. I'm like, I'm going to have live shows and make you a whole lot of time. Uh, but either way, if you want to see how like the things we're doing or what we're, what's going on, you can always go to our website, which is somenobodies.com. If you want to help us out, we're making a move right now called Give Me Back. You can find that on IMDb. We have a GoFundMe for that because we're almost done with uh, oh, production of that. Give Me Back was developed on this show. Give oh. Me Back was something we made on the show. I think episode five. Yep. And uh, we thought... Yeah, we found a director, we found a cinematographer, this thing is almost done. There's one scene left to shoot, and then it gets edited, and it's going to be amazing. Like, so there's a page. Three there's shots. A- <laughs> well, that's one. It's called Get Me Back. I'm, I want to look at it. 
Give me back. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's a really cool uh, little throw that we, we created on the show. It turned into a short film uh, that is looking amazing, it looks by the way. gorgeous. This team, yeah, I, these, <laughs> these people are fantastic at what they're doing. Yeah. We accidentally okay. found some amazing people. Uh, our director, Savannah O'Neill, please check her out. She's in charge One of one woman. Yeah, she's awesome. Uh, and she has a vision of something that, even though we created it, she made it seem real, which is so, so great. Uh, anyway, we have a patreon.com backslash some nobodies if you want to help us out. People that do help us out, Scott Curtis from Behind the Bits, one of the best uh, podcast interviewers. He likes to talk to comedians, he likes to understand why comedians tell the jokes, what's behind the jokes, not the funny part, the actually unfunny part that makes it happen. We have uh, Tony Sheck, Sarah Tkachik, listener app. Uh, if you're into podcasts, but you don't want to read it, you want or you don't want to listen to it, you want to read the words. I mumble a lot. Who knows what I'm actually saying? But you can read it if you go to Listener app, uh, which you can find them on Instagram at the Greatest Podcast app. Until next time, folks. I've been Zach. Uh, uh, she's been Tasha. Uh, he's been Dylan, and you've been great. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time. I'm, I'm tired of, of of talking. That's it. <laughs> Play- <laughs> Take it easy, guys. Be well. Bye, out guys. There. Thank you. Thank you.